Um, when I um, uh, discovered that uh, I was going to be preaching on one John, it sort of blew my mind. I thought, how? I mean, I don't know if you've ever read one John, and I um, don't intend to read it all to you tonight, but every verse is packed with, with something. And I, and I sort of thought, I have no idea where, where to start, because what, what do you do with five chapters? So we're going to be here till about midnight um, as uh, we go through it verse by verse by verse. Now seriously, we're not, okay? Uh, I'd be lucky if we're still here at half past seven with what I've got to say. Um, but it, it really, it's, it's, it's a book that is just chock full of wonderful, wonderful verses. It's just uh, a book, um, well the whole Bible is inspired, but it was, it's just brilliant. But just a bit of background one, about 1 John. Um, John, obviously one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, was writing to people and one of the things he's trying to overcome is the, the heretical sect called the Gnostics. Some of you may have heard of the Gnostics. Uh, G-N-O-S-I-C-S. It comes from the Greek word for knowledge. And what they were basically saying is for salvation, there was an anointing, they had an anointing, and this anointing gave them a special knowledge. So that's why they were called the Gnostics. Um, and, and, and to be a Christian, really, to, to know God, you had to have this special knowledge. And part of the special knowledge was um, that, uh, well, the body was evil, the soul was good, and the sort of, uh, so they, they couldn't mix almost, and, and so they sort of denied the deity of Christ because they said he couldn't possibly be, uh, that God couldn't possibly come in a body because the body's evil. So God couldn't do that. So they were sort of denying the, the deity of Christ. Um, but also, that they, they said that, well actually, because it's the body's evil, and the soul is good, um, some became really, uh, tried to live good life, ascetics, that they just said, well we, we mustn't, do wrong. But others said, well, it doesn't really matter what you do, because um, the body can't touch the soul, so we can go out and live um, any sort of life, do anything, because it doesn't really matter. So John is basically writing, or one of the reasons he's writing, is to uh, correct this, these thoughts, or write to people and say, continue to believe in what you have been taught, essentially. And, and most of the things that are in here are in 1 John are things that uh, people would have, the Christians there would have known, they would have been talking. It's right and to encourage them and say, look, don't listen to this heretical sect. Um, and in the first three verses, which I'm glad you read to us, you have that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in their eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we have proclaimed to you. The reason he's writing that is to say, look, these people are saying Jesus, or God didn't come in human form, but we know he did because we saw him, we heard him, we even managed to touch him. So, we spent time with him, we heard his teaching, we saw what he was able to do, we were able to touch him, we ate with him, and of course after the resurrection they, they actually touched him, and he's saying, look, these people are saying, God couldn't possibly have come in human form. Do not believe them because our testimony, 
My testimony is I touched him. I spent time with him. You can be certain that Jesus was God incarnate. But this rubbish about the soul and the body, it's just rubbish. God came in human form. He lived among us. The life appeared. And of course it echoes John's prologue in the Gospel. If you read the prologue, the first 14 verses, there's a lot of similarity here. And he says, the life appeared. We have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So he's writing and saying, look, just don't listen to what I have to say. It's not true. I can testify to it because I saw it. And for us, if we begin to have any doubts, this letter has been written so that we can, from someone who actually spent time with Jesus, touched him, felt him, saw him, heard him, we can be sure that Jesus was God incarnate. The life, or as he puts in the prologue, the word appeared. Here the life appeared. God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And we write this to make our joy complete. He's writing it, it could be, uh, the Greek could also be, we write this to make your joy complete. But he's saying, look, do not become obsessed, do not become so depressed or upset by what people teach. Let the truth uh, invade you so that your joy and our joy may be complete. That you can have the joy of the Lord because you know that Jesus was God incarnate. So that's the, the first thing I want to say. We can be sure about who God was because John uh, can testify to it. We have a letter here written by someone who spent time with him and can testify to who Jesus really, truly is. But there's two other things in this book. I mean, there's, there's so much as I said earlier, but there's two things I want to pick up on. The first is that he, he says, God is light. That's in chapter 1 and verse 5. God is light. In him there is no darkness. And we can think of the light in two ways. The first is uh, to do with truth. That we know the truth. And if you read through 1 John, you will see him talking about the truth or saying things like, we know or you know. Because he's saying, you have been taught the truth. You've been taught the truth about Jesus and you know and we know. And in, particularly in the first three chapters, there's those words, that either the truth or you know and we know. And because God is at light, there is no darkness, there's nothing false in him. And so we know the truth. The truth that we have been taught over the years, we can believe it. That's what John is saying. Don't let someone come and snatch the truth from you. Don't let someone come and say, this is the real truth, that you need this special knowledge that... that and, and unless you have this special knowledge, you cannot possibly get near to God. He said, no, that isn't true. You know the truth. You've experienced the truth. You know, we know. So we can think of uh, the light in terms of truth, but we can also think of light in terms of moral righteousness. And here we have the verses, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. If we claim to be without sin, which is partly what these Gnostics were saying. Say, well, we cannot sin because the sin doesn't affect the real us of the soul. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Yes, 
we can do wrong. But we have someone who is our advocate. And in chapter 3 he talks about everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin either has either seen him or known him. Now these verses have caused people problems because they go, hang on, it says, if we continue to sin, uh, we, we haven't seen him or we don't know him, and no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And you may be sitting there thinking, hang on a second, that's a bit... Because I know I sin. I sin every day in thought and word and deed. So what does that mean? These verses are written to the Gnostics who are saying, oh, we can go and sin and do what we like because it doesn't affect us. It, it won't affect our salvation because it can't, because the soul is separate to the body. And that's what he said. Those people just say, well, it doesn't matter. We just keep on sinning. It doesn't matter. It's not written to those of us who, we, when we confess our sins, when we know that we, we sin, we know we do wrong, and we are sorry, and we confess it, and we repent of it. So don't worry about those verses where it says, uh, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. It's written to those people who say, well, it doesn't matter. God will, you know, it doesn't affect me. So, um, God is light, means he's the truth. There's nothing false in him. We can believe what he says, we can believe what he says in his word, but also to do with that moral righteousness, that yes, uh, we sin, but we have someone who, uh, when we confess our sins, who will forgive us. He's faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins. We can rest on that. We can rest on that promise. But, the fact is that uh, we do sin and when we break the law, we need to come to him. He's moral, he's got that great moral righteousness. That is to do with the light. In him there is nothing dark at all. So that's one of the things that runs through it. God is light. But the other theme, and the title of the sermon was actually called um, Love Actually, it says God is light. Love. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And again, we can, well, we can think of three things about love. The first is it talks about God's love for us. Chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That's a tremendous word, lavished on us. He's poured and poured and poured on me. Just think um, about, well, I, I will think about times when I have a pudding and I get cream and I lavish it on, pour it on, and you know, just gorgeous, isn't it? Um, but that's what I think about, just what I do. So anyway, God lavishes his love on us in that tremendous way. In Ephesians, it talks about God um, lavishing his grace upon us. The same thing going on here. And then it says, this is how we know what love is, that God sends his uh, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And throughout, particularly the last three chapters of 1 John, it's talking about how great God's love for each one of us is. That he's lavished his love upon us. He sent his one and only son to die for us. And this theme runs through this book about God's love. And we're going to be meeting around uh, the Lord's table in a few moments' time. We're going to be remembering it. And that is how much he loved us, that on the cross he shed his blood, he broke his body. He went through all that he went through because he loves us. 
And then, on top of that, he just keeps lavishing love upon love upon love upon us. And do, you, do you get that? Do you understand that how much he loves you and me? What he's done for each one of us. So, the, there's the love that God has for us, but there's also the love that we have for God. And he talks about the new commandment, loving uh, that we will obey him if we love him. And it basically says, well, how can you say you love God if you don't obey him, if you keep disobeying him, that you don't hear his word and obey his word? So there's that love that God has for us and then there's our response to it in the way that we love God and show our love for him by obeying him, by listening to him, by hearing him and saying to God, yes, I commit my life to him. But then there's that love uh, that we have for one another. That is also a response to God's love for us. Because he says, um, and I find these verses a real challenge, um, where he says, uh, we love because he first loved us. Great. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's a real challenge there. To love each one of us. And this comes from John. John's writing it, must love his brother. Because I was reading this morning, Luke chapter 9, and where Jesus, uh, Jesus sends his disciples ahead into Samaria, and they reject the, the disciples. And John and James come back to Jesus and say, shall we call fire down on these people? because they've rejected them. This is the John who's writing now, love one another, love your brother. The one who said, I want him to, you know, because they rejected him, they want, he wants to pour fire down on them. But this is the same John who said, no, no, no. When you are rejected, just keep on loving and loving and loving and loving. So that's, Well, that, those are the two things that I put on in one John. God is light and God is love. But that love of God, we, he loved us, so we love him and we love our brother. And as we come around the table, we have to remember that if we eat in an unworthy manner, if we've got something against somebody, let's not eat or drink, let's go and put it right to the best of our ability. Because God says, you cannot love me if you don't love your brother, if you don't love your brother and your sister, if there's hatred, if there's bitterness inside of you, don't eat or drink. Put things right. So as we come around this table, as, as uh, Shinji leads us in, let's just remember that, that God's love for us is so great. Our response is to love him, but also to love those who are around us. Amen. Thank you.